you have your Bibles with you this morning, well, you can turn to, uh, well, we're all over the place today, so we just got several, we're going to be going all over the place in Scripture, but uh, Romans 12, 6 through 8, uh, you can put your thumb there in Romans 12, and then 1 Corinthians 12, and we're looking at 8 and 11, so those are our two primary texts this morning, so uh, we are studying about the spiritual gifts, so we're looking at that this morning. Now, for a body to function well, not only does it need a mind to think and a voice to speak, but it also needs eyes to see, a heart to feel, and arms and legs to go and do, to accomplish things with. Now, we have been working through 1 Corinthians, and we got here to chapter 12, and we decided to kind of push the pause button for a moment and really consider the spiritual gifts. So we're, we're digging down deeper into the spiritual gifts and thinking about them more closely. Spiritual gifts are God's special gifts to the church from the Father, through the Son, applied by the Holy Spirit. They are, are given to reveal God to the world so as we work together using our different gifts in the service of, of Christ the world looks at us and, and they see a picture of Christ in the church they also equip the church for her mission the mission to spread the gospel to all nations and all people groups and every Christian each and every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. Most generally, you have more than one, but you have at least one gift. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you, you, you can't say, I don't, have, I don't have any of them. Right? You can't say that because you have at least one spiritual gift. We all do. There are temporary sign gifts, which we'll be looking at in a couple of weeks now. And then there are the permanent edifying gifts in the church. The permanent edifying gifts. And we saw in 1 Peter chapter 4, we see there's two categories of those permanent gifts. There are the speaking gifts and the serving gifts. Now the speaking gifts are, as you remember, they're God's special gifts to edify the church in the word of truth. The speaking gifts are God's special gifts to edify edify the church in the word of truth so these are the teaching gifts the speaking gifts the the gifts that pronounce God's word and explain the word of truth to the church and to the world and there were as we saw in the past couple of weeks six speaking gifts there was prophecy there was the, the word of knowledge the word of wisdom teaching exhortation and the gift of evangelism so we wrapped up the speaking gifts last week and today we pick up on the serving gifts the serving gifts are god's special gifts to equip the church for the work of the ministry now let me say that again the serving gifts are god's special gifts to the church to equip the church for the work of the ministry so these are the doing gifts got to get our hands dirty right we got to go out and do so these are the serving gifts now there there are nine predominant serving gifts and so you have your hand out there and there's nine spaces to fill out 
So there are nine predominant serving gifts that equip the church for the work of the ministry. We're going to cover four of them today, and then hopefully we'll get through five next week. So don't worry when you get halfway through there and we stop, just bring your, your, your sheet back next week, your notes back next week, and we'll finish up those notes. So we're going to see four of the gifts today. Now, I hope that as we go through this, and this is my hope throughout all of the study, I hope as we go through these spiritual gifts, from the speaking gifts to the serving gifts, as you hear the description of them, uh, maybe you will recognize uh, some of these gifts in yourself and say, oh, man, yeah, I, that, that excites me. That gets my motor running, right? And if it gets your motor running, then that's probably a sign that you have that gift. And so I hope you are able to identify your spiritual gifts and maybe find ways to use them for the edification of the church because all of them are for the edification of the church. God didn't just give us spiritual gifts so that we can add to our resume, right? He didn't give the, our gifts just so we can feel good about ourselves. He gave us these spiritual gifts for the edification of the church. And so we are to use our spiritual gifts for the edification of the church. So as I say, today we're going to be in Romans, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians, and uh, then we've got a few other places to go to to see some examples. So uh, get your Bible in hand and get it ready, and we're going to have some of those sword drills. You remember those sword drills where you have to find the place? So uh, we're going to do some of that today. We're going to be turning to different places in Scripture today. So as we look at the nine serving gifts, the first two serving gifts are are somewhat similar. They are similar in nature, and so we need to make some distinctions between the two, but let's start with number one. The first serving gift is the gift of leadership, the gift of leadership, and we see this one listed for us in Romans 12, verse 8, and there Paul is talking about the spiritual gifts, and he says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them and then he starts listing them, and he gets down to verse 8, and he says uh, with the leadership, the one who leads with zeal. The one who leads is to lead with zeal. And so we have the gift of leadership. Now, the gift of leadership is the ability to provide direction and goals to a group and bring together resources and people that work together to accomplish those goals. So let me just give that definition again. The gift of leadership is the ability to provide direction and goals to a group and bring together resources and people that work to accomplish those goals. And all of these definitions of our spiritual gifts that we're, we're, we're getting, uh, they're, they're coming from our place assessment tool that tool that we use in our, our new members class, and we, we kind of did work through that as a group on uh, Sunday nights a, few, a while back. It's been a while back, so a lot of you have that place assessment tool. If you did not get that place assessment tool and you want to work through it, then please come see me and let me know. I can get you one of those. But all of these, just to kind of be consistent, are coming from the place assessment tool. So... Uh, the gift of leadership then, notice that, that uh, it, it provides direction and goals, right? 
And, and so that's what leadership does. The, the word here in Romans 12.8 is uh, prohistemi, is the word, prohistemi. And this word has two meanings. First, it means to exercise a position of leadership, to rule, direct, or be at the head of. So Christ is the head of the church, prohistemi, right? Prohistemi, it's that place of leadership. But it also means to have an interest in or show concern for someone or something, uh, care for, give aid to, so some translations may have their uh, give aid to. So uh, it, it has this idea of both leadership, uh, of leading, being the head over a group, but also this idea of, of giving care. So it's leadership with concern for others. We see this word used in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 through 5, as it talks about the qualifications of an elder or an overseer, a pastor. An overseer must manage his household well. Now, that's the ESV version. The ESV uh, translates that word manage, prohiste me. He prohiste me his household well. The King James, New King James, have it that uh, an overseer must rule his household well. Uh, I think rule has a, a, a better understanding of the term, the Greek term. It could be this, an overseer must lead his own household well. That, that's a good way of putting that, of translating that verse. An overseer must lead his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to lead, prohiste me, his own household, how will he care for God's church? So this is a, a gift that should be uh, a part of, the, of an overseer's resume, right? An overseer, a pastor, should have the gift of leadership. He has to lead his own household well so that he can lead and care for the church well. So as we think about the gift of leadership, let's, let's notice some characteristics of this gift. First, uh, a leader, the gift of leadership, uh, someone with the gift of leadership is future-minded. They are future-minded. They are visionaries. They, they look into the future and they see how things ought to be. Right? They, they see, here's how things are, but here's how things ought to be. And they look ahead to the future. So they are visionaries. They are future-minded. Typically, they are inspiring or motivational. Right? They're, they're good public speakers. And they can speak before the crowd, and they can kind of get the, the crowd pumped up about meeting those goals. Right? They could communicate the vision. They can communicate the vision and they can help other people see the vision of where the organization needs to go so they can inspire people and motivate people to, to come along with that vision. So they're future-minded and they're inspiring or motivational, but they're also caring. They're caring. That's that other side of that, that term there. They're caring. There's a genuine concern for other people. 
A leader doesn't want to just get to another place, doesn't want to get to that future vision, just to get to that future vision. He wants to get there because he sees that that future vision is what's best for the whole church, for the whole organization. So he leads out of a, a genuine concern and care for the people he leads. Peter Drucker says that leadership is doing the right things. Leadership is doing the right things. Now we have a a great example of leadership in Nehemiah. Can you turn there? Nehemiah chapter 2. Here's your first drill. Nehemiah chapter 2. Back way back over there in the Old Testament. Nehemiah chapter 2. I cheated. I had a ribbon in mind, so uh, I cheated a bit, but I'll give you a second to get there. Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah is a great example of a leader. Nehemiah is serving uh, in the time of exile, and he is a cupbearer to the king. And so this is the, the, Neo, the Medo-Persian Empire, and he's the cupbearer to the king. And he has gotten word back in Israel, the, the walls are in desolation, the town is in ruins, and he wants to change that. And so he has gotten permission from the king to go back to Jerusalem and do something about that. So Nehemiah chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 11, we see here, So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that, uh, that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate, and so returned. And the, the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials and the rest of and the rest who were to do the work so he he went out and he saw how things were then i said to them you see the trouble we are in how jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned come let us build the wall of jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also for the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hand for the good work. So here, Nehemiah, he sees how things are, but he also sees how things ought to be. He sees how things should be. And so he goes in and he speaks to the people and he rallies the troops and he says, look, we are in derision, but but here's what we need to do. And he is able to rally the troops and get them to catch the vision and go out and build the walls of Jerusalem. 
And that's a leader. A leader is that visionary who can motivate people to catch the vision and press forward. Man, we need to have leaders, the people with the gift of leadership in the church, pushing the church forward and the work of the ministry. We need leaders. If you have the gift of leadership, it's not just the pastor who has the gift of leadership. Others in the church have the gift of leadership and can help to motivate people and move people to do the work of the ministry and accomplish the goals of the church. So we need our leaders. We need you. If you have the gift of leadership, we need you to exercise that gift. Well, along with the gift of leadership is the gift of administration. The gift of administration. Now, like I say, administration is, is akin to leadership. It is very similar to leadership. It is a leading gift, in fact. Uh, we see this listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. We won't look there because it's just in the, a list of, of gifts. But we have this word administering or administration. The gift of administration is the ability to steer God's people into effective channels of service by understanding the resources needed to accomplish goals and plans. So the gift of, lead, of administration is the ability to steer God's people into effective channels of service by understanding, notice this, by understanding the resources needed to accomplish goals and plans. So the gift of leadership points out the goals and plans, sets the goals and plans. The, the gift of administration, they understand how to, to use resources to accomplish the goals and plans. The word here for administration in 1 Corinthians 12, 28 is a word that, that means, the Greek word means to steer or to pilot a ship to steer or to pilot a ship. The noun form is used for someone who is indeed a shipmaster or a pilot of a ship, someone who is responsible for the management of a ship. So you think about Old Testament or New Testament times back in the first century, you had a ship there and often there was an owner, someone who owned the ship, and then the owner of the ship, he would go out and make plans and, and get you know, some people to, to put their cargo on his ship to, to take it somewhere else. And so he would pass on to the shipmaster, right, the pilot. All right, we've got this cargo. We need to get it from point A to point B. And he turns it over to the shipmaster. The shipmaster says, all right, if we've got this much cargo, then we're going to need this much of a crew. We're going to need this much food, this much water. We're going to have to stop off at this port to, to refresh our supplies. We're going to have to stop off at this port to, to refresh our supplies again, and then we'll get to point B. So the shipmaster manages the resources. He, he, he sees what has to be done. Right? The owner or the CEO of the company, if you will, he has the vision. Here's where we need to go, but the shipmaster says, all right, well, here's what we need to do to get there. That's the gift of administration. Uh, someone with the gift of administration most often is more present-minded. They're present-minded, task-oriented. All right, here's the goal. Here's, here's what's at hand. Here's what we need to do, and here's how we need to do it. They are present-minded, task-oriented type people. They are organizers. 
They are organizers. Man, they love the details. Someone with the gift of administration probably has a, 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 an Excel spreadsheet of what all needs to be done. And they have all of those little items plugged in there. All right, here's our budget. Here's how much we need to allocate for food. Here's how much we need to allocate for uh, gifts or, or whatever, right? They, they, they know, they, they love the details. They love the details. This isn't so much me. I, I'm more like, don't bore me with the details. All right, here's what we need to do, but don't bore me with the details. I, I need some people with the gift of administration to do their, their, their job and administer. Uh, they are managers. They manage resources well. They're able to see, all right, we need so many volunteers. We need so much food. We need this amount of time, this amount of time to prepare, this amount of time to, to get things ready. We need these decorations. We, we, they can manage the resources well. Uh, my wife is the administrator of the Gamble household. When we go on a vacation, she has her little sheet of, we're going to stop off here, we're going to spend so many hours at this place, we're going to spend the night here, and then we're going to get up the next morning at this time, and we're going to make it to this place, and we're going to spend this much time there. I mean, she's got it all allocated. She has all of our resources allocated. I'm just like, just point me in the direction. Let's go, right? So she's the administrator. I'll uh, just admit that. Uh, we have some great administrators in the church who help me in, in like manner in the church, who manage the resources well, who administer well. If leadership is, is uh, doing the right things, then administrators do things right. So leaders do the right things, but administrators do things right. They focus in on the details. Joseph is a, a great uh, illustration of a, an, an administrator. Joseph, Genesis chapter 41. Again, here's your Bible drill. Go. Genesis chapter 41. Joseph is in the work of King Pharaoh. Uh, actually, he's just now coming out of jail. All right, he's been in jail, and Pharaoh had a dream about all of these crazy things and nobody can interpret his dream and they say hey well there's this guy down in jail named joseph and and he interpreted the cupbearer and the baker's dream and and so man he's good at this and so pharaoh calls him up and joseph goes in before pharaoh he interprets the dream for pharaoh and now we're going to pick up in verse 34 and and joseph is telling pharaoh what he needs to do Genesis chapter 41, verse 34. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be reserved for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this 
in whom is the Spirit of God. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards, uh, only as regards the, to the throne will I be greater than you. And so here we have the, the seven years of, of prosperity that Pharaoh saw in his dreams, the seven years of prosperity followed by seven years of famine. And Joseph says, here's what you need to do. You've got this abundance of resources coming up in the seven years uh, of, of prosperity, so here's what you need to do. And he knows how to, to manage the resources. And so Pharaoh puts him in charge. He is the administrator of Egypt during those 14 years and beyond uh, because he is a great administrator. He knows how to manage those resources. So if you have the gift of administration, boy, we have plenty of places for you to work and to use your gift. Uh, a lot of these committees have chair people who are serving, who are great administrators. They know how to, to look at the resources that the church has and know how to allocate those resources and use those resources to help us accomplish our goals and our mission. So we need administrators in the church. Boy, I need administrators in the church to, to keep things in order and keep things going. So that's the gift of leadership and the gift of administration. Third is the gift of discernment. The gift of discernment. The gift of discernment is the ability to know with confidence if individuals' teachings or motives are from God. The gift of discernment is the ability to know with confidence if individuals' teachings or motives are from God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 list or excuse me chapter 12 verse 10 uh, list the the gift of discernment as the, the one uh, the ability to distinguish between the spirits the the ability to, to distinguish between the spirits now this word here that he uses here for that little phrase there the ability to distinguish between the the spirit uh, means uh, has the meaning of the ability to carefully evaluate and rightly judge whether something or someone is good or evil, whether someone or something is from God or not. So the ability to carefully evaluate, notice that, evaluate and rightly judge. So there's two aspects of this gift of discernment that we need to, to make sure we understand. First is the, uh, the ability to evaluate. The ability to evaluate. Uh, that is, uh, this is a person who is quite astute. They are alert. Uh, they, they listen. They examine. So, so uh, they listen to a teaching. They examine a teaching. Or they examine a teacher. They examine how they act and what they do. So it's this ability to evaluate. But then that ability to evaluate is followed up by the ability to judge. That is to make a conclusion. So it's an, an evaluation with a conclusion. 
Now, you can't get those out of order. There has to be that evaluation. There's a lot of, there are a lot of people who jump to a conclusion, right? Without evaluation, they jump to a conclusion, and we call that being judgmental. That's judgmental. You're, you're not getting all the facts. You're just, you're, you just see maybe a few of the facts, and you're jumping to a conclusion, whether it be right or wrong. But with the gift of discernment, there's an evaluation. There's, a, there's a, 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 a true evaluation. We're looking at, we're testing the information. We're testing the fruits of a person or a thing. So there's an evaluation, and through that evaluation, then there is a judgment. Hey, this is not right. This guy, this teaching, this thing, something's off here. Something's off. He said this, but Scripture says this. Right? There's an evaluation, and then there's a judgment. Now, often you can go the opposite way, right? We said uh, judgment without evaluation is being judgmental, but, but there's also the other hand where there's evaluation but never a final judgment. Just continue to let it go and continue to take it in with ever making that judgment. But someone with the gift of, of discernment has both of these abilities. They evaluate and then they are able to make a judgment upon their evaluation. Acts chapter 5 gives us a great example of this with Peter. Uh, this is early in the, the, the New Testament church. Peter, Acts chapter 5. Give you a second to turn there, Acts chapter 5. The church is being set up and, and people are starting to, to sell off stuff and, and they're starting to have all things in common there in this first church in, in Israel and in Jerusalem. And Acts chapter 5 says, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have, uh, have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And a great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the, man, when the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. 
and a great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. So here Ananias and Sapphira, uh, they've made this plan of deception. Right? They, they sold this piece of property. They're going to donate the whole proceeds to the church. And they tell the church, we're going to give it all to the church, right? But in secret, they're saying, yeah, but we're going to keep a quarter of it to ourselves. That, that's our retirement fund, so we're going to keep a quarter of it. But they present it as if they're, they're giving the whole gift. They're lying. And Peter discerns this through the Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, he discerns that they're lying, and he confronts them about it. This is the gift of discernment. It's being able to evaluate and make a judgment whether something is true or false, whether it is from God or not, whether it is good or evil. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is a gift that is greatly needed in the church today. There's, there's so much being aimed at the church. There's so much trying to be, come into the church, to take over the church, to lead the church astray. We need people with discernment to say, wait a minute, something's not right here. Something's not right. This, this teaching, this thing, this person, something is not right. This is not from God. We need people with the gift of discernment to help protect the church from Satan and, and all of his devices that he is using to try to get into the church. So if you have the gift of, of discernment, we need you to exercise that gift for the benefit of the church, to keep the church uh, away from evil things. So we have the serving gifts, the, lead, the, gifts of, the gift of leadership, the gift of administration, the gift of discernment, and fourth is the gift of faith, the gift of faith. Now, the gift of faith is not saving faith, right? We're not talking about saving faith. Every Christian, if you're a Christian, you have to have faith. That's saving faith, trusting in Christ, trusting that Christ died for your sins trusting that he was raised again. There's saving faith, but then there's the gift of faith. The gift of faith is the ability to believe God's promises and act with unwavering conf uh, confidence in carrying out his will. Let me say that again. The gift of faith is the ability to believe God's promises and act with unwavering confidence in carrying out his will. When we talk about the gift of faith, again, we're not talking about saving faith, but we're talking about the kind of faith that, that moves mountains. Faith that moves mountains. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus says to his disciples, For truly I say to you, if you have the faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. A person with the gift of faith, they are able to move mountains. Uh, they have a deep faith, an unwavering faith. They trust that, 
that God can accomplish. And they keep to that faith. We see this exemplified a number of places throughout Scripture. And Noah, for one, had great faith, did he not? I mean, think about Noah. Uh, if someone went out in the field today and built a boat, we might think about joining in. Uh, but in Noah's day, there had not been a drop of rain, not even a sprinkle. God watered the, the earth by causing this mist to, to spring out over the earth. It had not rained. And so here goes Noah. Here he goes out in the middle of this big old field, out on dry ground, far away from the ocean, and he begins to build a boat, a humongous boat. And people are saying, Noah, what is wrong with you? You have lost your stinking mind. And they laughed at him. They mocked at him. But he had faith that God was going to do what God said he was going to do. He had great faith. He had great, great faith. Uh, Paul is another example of faith. And uh, you're there in Acts. So Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27. Flip over there. This is towards the end of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 27. Paul is on a ship to Rome. He's on a ship to Rome. Now, uh, they left late in the season. It was getting into the storm months. Paul, earlier on, told the people, hey, we shouldn't leave. We shouldn't take this voyage. This is going to be more than a three-hour tour. right? We shouldn't take this voyage. It's not going to end well, but... But the ship's captain, the, the shipmaster, said, Oh, no, uh, we can make it. We can make it. And so they didn't listen to Paul. Instead, they listened to the ship pilot, and they went on, and then they got caught in a northeastern, right? They got caught in a big old storm, a great, probably a hurricane-like storm. It came down upon them, and they got just, they were tossed about. They didn't know where they were. They, they thought they were fixing to just, crash and drown into the sea and so everybody there has lost hope but Paul stands up in in verse 21 of chapter 27 and he says uh, we see this since they had been without food for a long time Paul stood up among them and said men you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men. For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have told you, have, as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. So here, everybody else is ducking down, taking cover, fearing for their life, knowing they're going to die. And Paul has faith that God will do exactly as he has said he will do. He has faith and he encourages those who are on the ship with him. They, they go on. They, they fix a meal. They eat. They renourish themselves because of Paul's 
faith. And that's what happens in the church. We need people of faith as we're struggling, as we're striving for our goals, our God-given goals. Things are going to happen, right, that kind of sideline us from here and there. We've had one major sideline this year, right? We've been striving for our goals, trying to reach our, our goals that we set out, our five-year mission plan, right? But then COVID hit. COVID hit. And what happened? Everything got sidelined. We're not where we wanted to be at this point. We're not where we want to be. We're not making the ground that we would like to be at this point of meeting our goals, striving for that vision. And, you know, we kind of get down. We kind of get down. Oh, this is hopeless. This is hopeless. We're never going to make it. We're, we're never going to, to realize what we planned. And we need people of faith to come on and say, come on, guys, we got this. God's got this. It's not about COVID. It's not about us. It's not about any of this. It's all about God and what he has planned. And if he has something planned for us, he will accomplish it. We need people of faith to come into the church and strengthen the church when the church feels down and out, when the battle is on every side. When the storms rage, we need people of faith to say, God can do it. God can do it. Let's stay steady. Let's keep the faith. We need people of faith day in and day out. Day in and day out. George Mueller of Bristol was a great man of faith. Here was a man who, who God gave him a vision of, of taking care of orphans. And he, he brought in dozens and hundreds of orphans. But he decided early on that he wouldn't ask anybody for a dollar. He wouldn't ask anybody for support. He would leave it up to God. And he prayed, God, if this is your will, provide. You provide. And God provided. One night, when Mueller was there and the, the cupboards were bare, there was no food in the orphanage. And the kids were hungry. All the other people who were there taking care of the kids, they were hungry. Everybody was hungry, but no food in the cupboard. And someone came to, to Mueller at supper time and said, what are we going to do? He said, we're going to sit down to eat. And so they set the table Everybody gathered around the table. All the kids in the house came around the table. And Mueller sat down and he said, Thank you, Lord, for the meal that you have provided. And about that time, Mueller went to the door. He opened the door, and there was the town baker. Mr. Mueller, we baked way too much bread for the day. And we have all of this left over, and we were wondering if you could use it. <laughs> he had faith. Faith that God would provide. That's a person of faith. That's a person with the gift of faith. Do you have the gift of faith? Do you have that kind of faith? Boy, we need you to exercise your gift for the edification of the church as the church works to accomplish her God-given mission. What are your gifts? What are your gifts? 
you you recognize any of these serving gifts do you see some of these serving gifts in yourself do you see the gift of leadership administration discernment or faith in you does that get you any of these get you excited like yeah that's me then let me encourage you to to use your gift for the benefit of the church the edification of the church don't keep it to yourself don't keep it to yourself use it in the church so that the church can be whole right the body of christ is not whole when we have members not using their gifts use your gifts for the the edification of the church now the only way to have a spiritual gift is to have the indwelling holy spirit in you the holy spirit indwelling your life and the only way to have the indwelling holy spirit is to trust in jesus christ to surrender your life to him perhaps there are those here today and certainly there are those who are are listening in whether on podcasts or on live stream who don't have the indwelling holy spirit because you've never trusted in jesus christ well let me just give you an opportunity today to trust in him Christ Jesus came and died on Calvary's cross for your sin so that you might have life and freedom in him. If you'll only believe in him, if you'll trust in him. And if you trust in him, he says he will send a helper who will come and help you in life, who will empower you for the mission that he sets before you, the Holy Spirit. He will give you the Spirit. And, all, and the gifts of the Spirit that he has for you, if you'll trust in Jesus. But will you trust him today? Man, life is short, and eternity is long. Make sure before this life is over that you trust in Jesus and give your life to him. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, again, we just thank you for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I mean, these are gifts they are blessed gifts from, from, your, from your hand. By your grace, you give them to us willingly, lovingly. You, you provide these, these gifts for us. And they have a purpose. They're there to help us to accomplish the mission that you have set before us. Oh, Father, let us never be lazy let us never set aside our gifts and think the, uh, my time is over or, or whatever. But Lord, let us, let us be faithful. Whether we know our, our exact gifts or not, let us be faithful to serve you with everything that you have given to us. And Lord, in that, reveal your gifts to us so that we can serve you all the better. Lord, as we look at the mission before us, and especially in this time where it seems like the church has been crippled from COVID and other things going on in the world right now, Lord, we pray we need your empowerment. We need you to set us aflame so that we would not uh, lose heart but we would continue the fight that you have set before us, Lord, to take the gospel to the nations. 
all of those who are around us here in Morehouse Parish and even as far as the ends of the earth. Lord, help us to be faithful, to use our gifts in faithfulness to accomplish what you have given us to accomplish. And certainly, Lord, if there are those who have never trusted in Jesus, then my prayer for them today is, Lord, that their hearts would be turned to him, to trust in him, surrender to him. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.